The Annex is a production of the Queen's Podcast Lab. For more, visit queenspodcastlab.org. This is the Annex, a sociology podcast. I'm Joseph Cohen from Queen's College in the City University of New York. Today, we're going to talk about the sociology of celebrity with Carrie O. Ferris from Northern Illinois University. Professor Ferris is the author of The Sociology of Celebrity in Sociology Compass, and she published Seeing and Being Seen, The Moral Order of Celebrity Sightings in the Journal of Contemporary Ethnography. We're going to talk about celebrity today, coming up next. Andy Warhol said, in the future, everybody's going to get 15 minutes of fame and I, I i did the calculations and it's not really mathematically possible it'd take about two hundred thousand years for us all to take one turn at 15 minutes but there was some insight to warhol's quote or at least what was attributed to him technology has changed in ways that i i don't know if we've ever had so many celebrities or if it's ever as easy to be a celebrity but it's also maybe changed our relationship with celebrities and, and the nature of celebrity itself and to process all of this we are very lucky to have carrie ferris from northern illinois university professor ferris is an expert on celebrity it's great to have you so welcome to the show carrie thank you joseph I'm coming at you from rural Wisconsin right now. It's spring break, and we're in a fabulous old farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. But there's good internet. <laughs> no, that, that's all that counts. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny. Like, for years, all of us have just been dying to just get away from it all and maybe get yeah. a few months of quiet writing. But after, like, a year of getting away from it all, it's really... I'm, I'm ready to get back to some of it, I think. <laughs> right. And judging by how much I've written, it wasn't really a problem of other people. So no, I don't know what to tell not. you about that. Absolutely not. <laughs> so let's, let's start off with this. Every time I read about celebrity, it seems like everybody wants to mention Big Brother and Kim Kardashian and make the point that we have some type of dysfunctional relationship with celebrity or we're obsessed with celebrity or something like that. What is your take on celebrity? Is is it really something different? Are we obsessed with it? What's your take? So my, first of all, I, I kind of, I want to put the brakes on this whole, we're obsessed with celebrity and it's bad kind of thing. I, I, I'm not at all sure that's the case. Um, I feel like celebrity and our uh, interest in it is like anything else, right? You can use it for the good, you can use it for the bad, right? It's just a phenomenon, right? And so yeah. let's understand the phenomenon before we try and uh, say there's something wrong with it. And I think that's been a problem with a lot of the um, both uh, sort of popular opinion about celebrity and scholarship about celebrity, right? We sort of have started from the assumption that it's bad to be interested in certain kinds of famous people, right? Because it's okay to be interested in like Yo-Yo Ma and right. <laughs> Socrates and right. Jane Austen and people like that, right? No, no, nobody's saying yeah. oh, that's unhealthy, right? But when you're interested in the Kardashians or Big Brother, Survivor, The Bachelorette, those, those right. 
that's bad, right? So I think that uh, from the very start, there was a sort of a toxic high culture versus low culture distinction uh, that, yeah. we, that we made and didn't realize we were making bad sociologists. <laughs> but yeah, so I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with celebrity. I think it's been around since there has been any kind of media and I include, you know, stone tablets and papyrus <laughs> in, in that um, category. And so, you know, to the extent that there are people who we know about via mediation, <laughs> but whom we do not know in person, there's been celebrity. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. So let's just understand what it means to people first. Yeah, that's interesting. So it's like the the first pitfall that you probably have to avoid when you're studying sociology is to resist the temptation to make a gratuitous display of cultural capital or some type of like performative character putting on where you're trying to communicate a message about yourself. Because you're right. It's like nobody would deride Max Weber's fame. Right, right. Or, I mean, if we even talk about like living sociologists, right? Right. Remember back in the day when we used to go to conferences? And yeah. <laughs> like the grad students would be scanning people's name tags and then they would like follow along. They'd be like, right. oh, there's Charles Tilly, you know, or, right. oh, there's Maury Seitlin, you know. We do it in sociology, too. So, like, let's, you know, heal thyself, PhD. So that's that's interesting. You're, the way you describe it is that it's, it's a situation, basically, where someone is known to strangers. Is that the essence of celebrity? Basically, people who you don't know know of you. Yeah. I mean, I would say, I would say that. And that's why technology has had such a huge impact on what we, we consider to be celebrity, right? Because now there are all sorts of ways for those of us who would never make it into a like Hollywood celebrity status yeah. to be in that same position, to be in the position where we are known by more people than we know. Yeah. I mean, you're in that position, right? Yeah, it's like, well, there's a there's this, this phenomenon of micro celebrities, I guess, mm -hmm. is uh, a lot of people talk like this, like celebrity always occurs like in a field, right? Like even yeah. someone who I imagine is famous beyond belief, like a really famous baseball player or a famous 1970s musician, like those, they're only famous to people who know about baseball they're, right. or know about, yeah. That's right. It happens in a field, yeah. Kim Kardashian is not a celebrity to my grandmother, right? Yeah. <laughs> she is. I mean, I don't know how she has avoided that, but she does. She yeah. has, right? So, <laughs> so yeah, celebrity does occur within, a, as you said, a field, a context within which, you know, you could be a celebrity in the podcasting world, but for people who aren't part of the podcasting world, you know, they, they don't even know how to talk about that, right? Yeah. And it's not the celebrity's not fungible. It's not really useful. Like if my wife got to spend dinner with you know a, a famous baseball player, she'd probably just opt to go see her friend. Like there's nothing to be gained if your attentions aren't there. Right, right. And that was what I thought was so interesting about like you mentioned my my celebrity citing paper that seeing and being seen thing. People couldn't. Uh, I, I analyzed the accounts of of people who'd had celebrity sightings. This is when I still lived in Los Angeles, where that stuff happens all the time, right? I, I now live in Rockford, Illinois, and um, we do have one celebrity, right? right? Rick Nielsen from 
um, cheap trick. <laughs> um, so, so we see him. I mean, like if you see Rick Nielsen at the Home Depot, everybody's like, "Woo, I saw Rick Nielsen!" Right. But that's all you get, right? And so, but in LA, you know, it happens all the time, and every time you stand in line for a movie. Um, anyway, what was interesting about those accounts is that people didn't have any control over the celebrities that they saw. So sometimes, even though it was supposed to be exciting because it was a celebrity sighting, it was disappointing yeah. them because it wasn't the celebrity they wanted, right? It was Rod Steiger and not, yeah. you know, Adam Sandler. So, what is it? What is it about celebrities then? Like, why do people attach to them? Like, why are they so meaningful? Like, why do they occupy? Why is celebrity so important to us or meaningful to us? I mean, I think. I think Weber got it right, right? They they have charisma. Hmm. And that, I think, can be used to describe all sorts of things, right? Special talents, attractiveness, um, wealth, good fortune of various sorts, right? So charisma sort of can attach to all kinds of qualities, but I think that's what a celebrity has, right, is some sort of charism, Right. Like some type of magnetism. You know what I think about often? It's funny. I guess, for example, Kim Kardashian. I always think of a pre-internet sort of Kim Kardashian. Uh, remember Fabio? Yeah. Right? <laughs> Fabio. I don't know what he did. He was very handsome, though. And I guess that kind of it, it, it jives with your explanation. There has to be like, I guess, an X factor, just something that draws people to the celebrity. Yeah. Is that is that what you mean? There were two Fabio sightings in the data for that paper. He was having dinner with Mike Piazza. So, wow. yes. Now, see, <laughs> so, now that interests me. Well, um, <laughs> Romance cover guy. I don't know. Yeah, that was that was that was curious. But yeah, I mean, and again, I think a, a charism or a magnetism like that, it doesn't apply to everyone, right? Like some, you know, some poles attract and some poles repulse, right? So, eh, Fabio, who cares? Rod Steiger, who cares? But you know, like uh, Beyonce, woo! I can't believe I saw right. Beyonce. You know that sort of thing. So. So there's like, so we're drawn to them. There's also like, do you ever find like uh, a lot of, so I read a, an argument with Jeff Alexander. I'm never quite sure what he's arguing, but like what I inferred from it, he had this argument that I liked about basically people standing uh, as a totem for a community. It's almost like uh, the idea would be like when we celebrate Karl Marx, for example, we're not just paying attention to Karl Marx, but it's like he stands for a set of ideas or a social movement. Mm-hmm. Have you come across any of that behavior? Yes, I would. I would say so, especially in my early work among sci-fi fans. Mm-hmm. I would say they are very attuned to the uh, sort of broader meaning of their celebrities and mm-hmm. the sort of bigger concepts and the value system uh, that their celebrities uh, sort of represent. Like, can you give us a story or an anecdote? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, uh, I, I did a lot of research for my dissertation among Star Trek 
fans. And so I would go to like Star Trek conventions and, and stuff like that. Fan club meetings, group watch kind of stuff. And that was, that was back in the day when things appeared on television at a certain time. You're right. <laughs> but, um, you know, they were very plugged in to the, um, the principles mm-hmm. of the show. And then they did a lot of work to attach those principles to not just the characters, but the actors. Right. So while, you know, the character of Captain Kirk or whomever um, stood for, uh, you know, open mindedness and, you know, um, inclusivity and curiosity and, non-interventionism and stuff like that they would also then work to attach those principles to the actor mm-hmm. which is sometimes a little bit harder um but i think a lot of well i think in that case especially the actors were aware of that and did what they could to assist the fans in uh, allowing them to attach those principles to them right like i'm a good guy i do believe in all of that stuff Here's right. my charity, um, you know, and so like the one of the the Star Trek fan clubs I uh, did some of my observations with would have fundraisers and then donate that money to Shatner's favorite horse charity. He was into huh. uh, like rehabilitating old racehorses or therapy horses or something like that. I can't actually remember what it was, but it had something to do with horses. And so that's what they would do. They huh. would have a fundraiser and I don't know, like, you know, sell stuff or, or or just ask their members to give when it was time to do charitable giving and that's where the money would go to his favorite charity that's interesting you know i remember i had one respondent in this podcast project that i'm running and they hosted a podcast for a show that would attract a similar audience and they infused you know the same meaning into it was a fan show mm-hmm. of a uh, of a program and they would infuse like the same meaning it'd be like the example would be like picard was not the guy playing picard i forget his name uh, patrick uh, stewart. Mm-hmm. yeah like patrick stewart is not just an actor who's playing Picard, but like Star Trek had a meaning that like there were ideals being conveyed and the podcasters felt like they were almost working alongside the franchise, you know, the equivalent of what working with Star Trek to, you know, forward the mission, forward the message. And uh, so it's very, very interesting to see that people invest more meaning the idea that people invest more in celebrities. They're more than just entertaining you, but they're part of something, a thing that you also attach yourself to. Yeah, absolutely. And can I also say that my first year in grad school, Jeff Alexander told me I was going to wash out after the master's degree. Rude. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure he doesn't remember this, but I will never forget it. (laughs) It's so hard, you know, the things that you say in passing that are very, very meaningful to young people, for better or for worse. Like, I'm a little more supportive than that. but uh, (laughs) I am too. You know, but like I have said things in passing that students took as very meaningful in a positive way. And they're like, wow, when you said that to me and I was like, wow, I was really just saying that off the cuff. Like it didn't. But I guess it goes to show it's like uh, your words are, are weighty when you're a professor. Mm-hmm. You know? No, I, I, I need to always remember that myself. So. Holy 
Jeez. So celebrity. And then there was uh, a lot of people describe celebrity as like a form of capital or a form of power. Mm-hmm. How, how does that work? How do celebrities exercise power? I feel like that's the thing that should get more sociologists interested in celebrity, right? Is yeah. because it is a system of power and, you know, celebrities are in different positions along that hierarchy and depending on their position, I don't think it's just a one-line continuum, right? I think it's a multi-dimensional kind of system, right? But depending on where they are in that multi-dimensional system, they've got clout that they can bring to other unrelated issues and projects, right? So unrelated to whatever it was that made them a celebrity. Um, So like, you know, Shatner saves old racehorses or I'm going to have to go again afterwards. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, there are celebrities who have, you know, what, what I'm, what I'm supposed to be working on on my sabbatical this semester is an analysis of celebrity participation in the Me Too movement, because that was a, a really sort of a unique social movement in the sense that while it included millions of non-celebrity women, it was sort of led by celebrity victims yeah. and targeted celebrity perpetrators, right? So it was a kind of a, an interesting way to start something right is to have celebrities started at the top yeah i think a lot of the time what happens is that they get recruited into other social movements like environmentalism or you know the anti-trump resistance and and stuff like that because they share those values and somebody says all right well let's go find a luminary to to so our movement can sort of bask in their reflected glory um but me too was really something that like you know Alyssa Milano tweeted something and all these other celebrity women said me too. Right. And then all these other non-celebrity women said me too. And frankly, I think non-celebrity women have been saying it for years beforehand. Um, But the spark that started that particular fire was a celebrity generated spark. So um, they do have power and they use it and elected president. Well, that's true, too. But it's very interesting on the other, uh, like those examples, because, you know, I, I love this idea that our attachment to celebrity can have something to do with, you know, our identity and, you know, our pragmatic endeavors in the world. And it's also like when we talk about people's reception of celebrity, we often talk about people like they're dumb, like they don't, they're infatuated, they're starstruck and whatever. But the Me Too movement is a good example of how, you know, you can appreciate someone lending resources to an important movement, just as a celebrity lends their capacity to attract attention mm-hmm. or their capacity to move. Like it's really, you don't have to be starstruck with Alyssa Milano and, you know, finessed by her celebrity, but you could actually just appreciate Alyssa Milano as the leader of a movement that you believe in, mm-hmm. you know, much like you would a political leader. So it's very interesting, this idea that, you know, maybe, maybe it's not all dopey, this, this celebrity right. Right. following yeah right and i think that insight that people aren't necessarily being duped by celebrity yeah. culture is a really important one yeah because i don't think people are necessarily being duped by celebrity culture i think they're I think they recognize that it's 
you know, potential uh, that's, you know, some of it is frivolous, right? Yeah. But we need frivolity in our lives, right? Frivolity is enjoyable, right? And so I, I don't know why we have to be serious all the time. Right. <laughs> and if you're not, you're stupid. That's, that's just not the way it works. There's also the way I'm starting to see some of these celebrities is that like they they head up enterprises and it's just like the enterprise that they head up they've decided to center on their personal persona like kim kardashian is very smart as a media enterprise as the head of a media enterprise i think she's absolutely genius no and that that kind of impresaria yeah you know why don't we admire that we admire it in men in finance or, you know, real estate. Right. Why don't we admire it in her? Yeah. Like, I mean, uh, you know, some, some crappy journalists opinions on Substack, we somehow (laughs) seem to hold them in very high esteem, but why not? Right. Right. It's a good point. And there, there's, there must be a gendered thing, but there's also there, you know, for sure there's a gendered thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but also like uh, I think there must be something with with the entertainment industry or the media industry. It's just you know we assume that I think it's probably we're buying into the fantasy that they convey. Because I'll tell you when I look behind the curtains at the enterprises that I study, I see businesses like organizations where they're very deliberate about how they engineer attracting attention how they lock in people on purpose mm-hmm. and i have to think somebody like kim kardashian she is not just famous for being famous she's like she's marshaled the following and and their following sees something right and nothing is an accident right they, yeah they, they know what they're doing yeah they know what they're doing. <laughs> and so the fans i think i think again we can't sell the fans short the fans know what they're many of the fans know what they're doing too Right. Well, it's certainly deliberate because you can have moments where somebody accidentally gets a ton of attention, but they don't turn it into an ongoing enterprise. Like, for example, remember that guy, that professor who was doing the BBC interview and his daughter came marching in, right? We all saw that. We all loved it, right? That thing got like a zillion views on YouTube. I've shared it. We've all shared it. And we know that guy. I've forgotten his name, though. But he didn't parlay it into something on mm-hmm. purpose. It's not like he tried to lock us into a Twitter feed or something. Mm-hmm. So celebrity has to be manufactured on some level. Absolutely. I think with that, it's pretty clear that he wanted a very different kind of celebrity than yeah. being the guy <laughs> whose daughters like, ran into his interview to make him, right? He didn't want yeah. that kind of celebrity. <laughs> I was supposed to be on CNN for my North Korean, my book on North Korean trade right. patterns. Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> having adorable, funny little girls. <laughs> but but let, ultimately, some of the the have you ever looked into the firsthand experience of celebrity? Because I know you wrote about it in your sociology compass, but you said it's hard to get to. I wonder what's the what's your sense of like the the visceral experience of being a celebrity? Like, is it or just the the overall experience? Is it welfare enhancing? Is it a burden? Like, <laughs> what's the difference between what we imagine and what it is? That is a great question. Um, I, I have to say, it is hard to get again the sort of the real Hollywood luminaries to 
participate in sociological studies. They're not super interested in something that isn't going to enhance their profile, right? right? So when I'm like, oh, well, it's going to be completely confidential, they're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be published in academic journals. Oh, no, nothing. Oh, yeah, it's a um, triple minus there. Right. <laughs> So, so I have not had a whole lot of luck in getting celebrities to participate in my study. Very few people have. I feel, I feel like the only person who's had any luck with that is Drew Pinsky, Dr. Drew. You know, I mean, he really, <laughs> at least at some point in his life, was a research scholar. Um, and so he's done some uh, surveys of uh, celebrities using psychological scales right so like narcissism scales all and right stuff like what's that. he found what do you find uh, well celebrities are more narcissistic than most people <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that you know narcissism comes with positive qualities as well as negative ones right so right so i haven't had any luck with real hollywood level celebrities uh what i did end up doing um after i moved um, from la to the midwest is uh interviewed small market local newscasters uh-huh because i had never had the experience before of living in a city so small that everybody knew the weather guy yeah and like would be like oh i saw the i saw the weather guy at the supermarket yeah. you know i saw the weather guy raking leaves in front of his house or something like that um so i sort of took that opportunity to say those are celebrities here yeah. right they experience relationships with their fans and their viewers that are exactly like the relationships that hollywood celebrities have with their fans and their viewers in that sense of being known by more people than you know right mm -hmm. so i've traveled around the midwest and interviewed people um in a bunch of different uh actually they they're they're medium markets so like four hundred thousand people or less okay that's still big yeah, yeah. Um, and usually it's like the big city in the mostly rural region, right? So there's, right. you know, 200,000 people in the big city, and then the rest of the, pe the people who watch this channel are out in the middle of nowhere. Um, right. And so celebrity was not, an, was not an entirely positive good for them. Uh -huh. Uh, and that that feeling was gendered, too. Oh, interesting. Men enjoyed it more than women did. Mm -hmm. Women felt at risk when they right. were known by more people than they knew, right? Mm -hmm. And men felt like there were benefits, like you could get out of eating tickets and like people would buy you drinks at the bar and stuff like that. But women were always like, you know, I get so many emails telling me I shouldn't wear that dress again and, you know, I'm gaining weight or my hairdo right. is flattering or uh, whatever. And they were just so tired of having people feel entitled to them and to their bodies mostly and to having opinions uh, about their bodies. Huh. Most of the female newscasters, I only interviewed um, like anchors, right? So people who were right. on screen most of the time. And, um, you know, most of the women didn't use their real names um, mm -hmm. in order to protect their families and stuff like that. The men really didn't think about stuff like that. Mm. If I can, if I remember right, I think there was really only one guy who had a bad experience with being known and that was because the receptionist at his chiropractor's office, you know, told people about 
his back problems. Okay, something like that. Well, I, I'll I'll tell you that it, it's funny. I have had some experience with that. I was a uh, an evening uh, radio announcer in a town mm-hmm. of fifty thousand people up in northern Ontario. And even though, I mean, I wasn't myself a very large celebrity, you're right that local media people enjoyed a renown that's not altogether different from being a professor on campus, right? right. It's just right. a lot of people know who you are. Right. I would say that, and the experience of it is not altogether different from being a professor on campus in the sense that when people know who you are, then you're kind of already on the job. Right. Right. You can't tell someone to F off. You can't tell, you know, you can't just ignore people. People will intrude on your evening. And even for men, I remember like, you're not afraid, but like a certain percentage of the population is a weirdo. Yes. And everybody gets unwanted communications. Mm -hmm. I think maybe the difference is, is that uh, men might not feel a threat from that in the same way. Right. that you made if you were female. Right. Um, yeah, it's absolutely like being a professor. I mean, I mean, or, you know, a priest in a large yeah. congregation or yeah. the lifeguard at the community pool. I mean, right. honestly, there, there are a lot of us who are in positions like that where more people know us than, than we know. And especially if you are in a smaller setting, like when I first moved to DeKalb, Illinois, it's like a town of 40,000 people and half of that is university. So, you know, I always had to wonder who was checking me out at like target and like, would they right. tell what I bought and stuff like that. Yeah. Right. And, and when students did see me out in the world, they would be like, Dr. Ferris, what yeah. are you doing here? Like, yeah. like you must live in yeah. school and never go to the bathroom. Right. Like, what yeah, are you right. Doing here? Um, so that knowledge that you will be, recognized is potentially anxiety producing, I guess. I could imagine. And I mean, I I will say one thing that I feel like I've learned from all these years of studying celebrity is you do not want to be one. Yeah. (laughs) And there's all these people like, Oh, I want to be famous. I want to be rich. I want to be famous. I'm like, no, 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 you don't. (laughs) You want to be the behind the scenes person who gets the rich and the famous without the recognizability, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I've never studied this, but one impression that I have is that uh, dreams of fame are ultimately dreams of receiving esteem and receiving acceptance. And a lot of young people, when they're imagining celebrity, when you talk to them a little bit, it seems like celebrity is a means to an end. And the end is usually find someone to love me, be like prized in my friendship group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And very basic things like our, our interaction with celebrity can be feeding much more mundane needs or uh, right. and you can get those things without having to give up your right to go to the supermarket in your sweatpants. Right, right. And I, I don't want to give that one up. <laughs> you know there's a good story uh that a colleague told me about a very very famous sociologist and just how our impressions of of fame are different from the reality and this was i'll just say who it was because it's not a bad story of her but she said that she was checking into the ess and she was standing at the check-in counter next to annette laroe Mm -hmm. all right now if there is ever a place where 
a sociologist like Annette Leroux is going to get to shine, you would expect it's at the ESS, right? But there's some hapless graduate student who doesn't know who she is, and she was there. She said, she said literally, Annette was like L-A-R-E-A-U. <laughs> this is the story that she told me. And it goes to show sometimes we have an impression that celebrities are just known by all and just receive the red carpet treatment. And the reality of it is very mundane and very underwhelming and is really, you know, often a creature of our imagination than, than the reality of it. Is that your sense? Like the reality versus what people think celebrity is? Yes. I, I think, I think that's true. I mean, I think if you're talking about people like Hollywood celebrities, they have these sort of big amplitude waves of like up and down attention, right? So you've got a movie that comes out and, you know, you're everywhere and all on the red carpets and stuff like that. But then there's like two years where you don't have any work at all, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I don't think people who want to be famous think about that. Like, what do you do during the troughs yeah. of your career? Um, and then the the more sort of small market celebrities like my newscasters and stuff like that, I mean, their lives are exactly like ours, right? They yeah. don't have an entourage. They don't have an agent. They don't have anybody to buffer them from any of the stuff that they're even mild fame uh, foists on them. But then they've also got to like take their kids to school and go to yeah. the store and rake their leaves and, you know, do all of the ordinary stuff. Someone's still going to interrupt them when they go for breakfast at Denny's. Right, right. <laughs> they just don't get the mansion. And so I, I think that people with dreams of fame think it's the, the sparkly red carpet um, zenith all the time, and mm. it's not. And for some people, it never is, right? For some people, it's just all work. So tell us, what are you working on now? Where, What direction is your work heading on in terms of studying celebrities? I'm absolutely fascinated by the possibility that dead celebrities maintain their agency as social actors. Huh. And so once I'm done, well, I don't know what's going to happen with this Me Too um, uh, uh, project. I'm having a lot of data trouble huh. <laughs> <laughs> how to solve but, but my dead celebrity stuff is, I think, much more sort of conceptual and theoretical. And so I can do that without 33 million data points. And so that's, that's what I've been thinking about more lately as I struggle with Stata and rehydrating dehydrated tweets is this notion that dead celebrities are different than other kinds of dead people and that they retain an agency in the social world that allows them to continue to have relationships with fans and followers that are very much like the ones they had when they were alive. Well, give us an example. Like, what are you, what are you thinking of, for example? Like somebody like Michael Jackson. I just, I just um, uh, had an article come out about people tweeting happy birthday to Michael Jackson on his birthday, 10 years after he was dead. Right. Yeah. And so I think that because so many of us would never have had a chance to see Michael Jackson in person anyway, what's the difference if he's dead, right? Right. You can still listen to his music. You can still watch interviews. You can still watch movies. You can still construct much the same persona for him 
and then interact with that persona as you did when he was alive. Like it's it's not right. that much different. And especially with people like Michael Jackson or Elvis or that sort of thing, there are these huge corporate entities that keep pushing information onto us even after they're dead, right? There's always something else to buy. There's, you know, you can go to his house, you can't, whatever. So that's cool. I'm messing around with that right now. I got, you know, the, what's interesting though, is once you die, you make the shift from creator to content. Mm-hmm. And you're almost like a vehicle for other creators to achieve what they want. Yes. And some celebrities know, recognize that and prepare for that. Huh. Right. Really? How am I going to allow myself to be used after death? Right. So that's part of the construction of some of these corporate entities, right? Is like what kinds of uses of my product and my image will be allowed wow. once I'm dead. Right. So sometimes living celebrities prepare wow. their social actor persona for their posthumous use. Oh, that's it. So they're basically using intellectual property law to ensure that once they make the leap from creator to content, that that content is used in a way that they would have used it. That's consistent with their creative type of vision. Oh, wow. Very interesting. On the other hand, when people, you know, when let's say someone says happy birthday, Max Weber, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Are they like... Are they communing with Max Weber or is it like signaling where I'm like, hey, all the other sociologists, I remembered it was Max Weber's birthday today. Did you? They may be communing with Max, but they're also communing with all the other Weber heads or whatever. Right. What what do Weber people call themselves? (laughs) Yeah. But it's interesting at the same time because it gives you a signal into the nature of celebrity. It's a group of people who've banded around an individual. Like it Mm -hmm. doesn't matter – Happy birthday, Michael Jackson. Like, who cares what Michael Jackson says? He's dead. But I guess that's the essence of it. There's a group of people who have found each other and commune, Mm -hmm. a person sitting at the center. Yeah. And they can be dead or alive. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. That's interesting. It makes me think, I mean, and I'm not prepared to, I wasn't prepared for this question. I'm just thinking about like, but what does that say about our discipline? How we're always sort of communing with dead people and, and right? Like what's, what's going on there? Are we? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I, fa- I found it very shocking when I was in grad school and realized how focused on the past if all of my professors and dead celebrities, right? Like nobody, you go to 1950, whatever, you don't know anybody on the AJS board of editors, but you know, when you talk about C Wright Mills forever Mm -hmm. and ever, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. it's weird. It's not strictly with the past. It's like a dead celebrity culture, even in our own discipline. Yes. Yes. And so I, I feel like that was part of, as a grad student, manifesting your worthiness was to be able yeah. to say, I know what Habermas said about this, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I know what I mean, I, I fetishize to some extent the dead Irving Goffman, right? Mm. Like, right. I, I'm i a big fan of his social theory. I understand he was a real asshole most of the time in person, but like I do things like, I took my first sociology class the year he died. 
<laughs> like, do you think the spirit of Irving <laughs> like, was present in that sociology uh, classroom? <laughs> so, I mean, I do it. I do it too. Right. <laughs> well, I think we devalue the present. The present is frivolous. The present is ordinary. The present is unimportant. And I don't, right. I'm not 100% sure why that is. Why, why, does, why does history have to be the thing that valorizes something? Yeah. Either that or maybe we're just intensely tribal, too. Yeah. <laughs> we're, yeah, as a discipline, we're like ridiculously tribal and everybody has their totems, like Jeff Alexander says. And I don't know. I can't get my head around it. I will have to save it for another episode, but like, holy moly. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't all academia like that, right? Yeah. I mean, we are kind of the last medieval guild around. (laughs) Um, I wouldn't be surprised if all disciplines were like that. I just don't know them. Carrie Ferris, Northern Illinois University expert on celebrity it was a pleasure talking to you today it was, it was fun what a fun conversation thank you for your interest for me too thank you you've been listening to the annex a sociology podcast a special thank you to carrie ferris from northern illinois university she's the author of the sociology of celebrity in sociology compass and seeing and being seen the moral order of celebrity sightings in the journal of contemporary ethnography we're on the web the on twitter at socianix and on facebook at the annex sociology podcast the annex is a production of the queen's podcast lab for more information visit queenspodcastlab.org our production team is headed by Lisette moreno and Hanmei Cho, music by Lena Orsa. I'm Joe Cohen. Thanks for listening. <laughs>